Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll turn to chapter 12 of the Confession. Let's pray. Lord God, we, um, our Father, we praise you. We're thankful, Father, for your Lord's Day. Thankful that you have called us to worship you, to give our attention to the things above, to take our minds off the things of the earth. And Father, we pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, be working in us this day, that we would hear your word, that we would sing our praises with faith, that we would make our uh, prayers heartfelt, and Lord, that you would once again feed us. We thank you for your many mercies to us. We thank you most of all for the forgiveness of sins that we have through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we ask now as we look at the confession that you would give us wisdom to understand it and that it and the scriptures would uh, encourage us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's start with 1 John 3, verse 1. 1 John 3, 1 encapsulates the doctrine that we're talking about this morning, which is the doctrine of adoption. So 1 John 3, 1 says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, we, now we are children of God and it has not yet appeared as what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he, God, is pure. And so, adoption is the, the next step that we're looking at in this order of salvation. And it's similar to justification. In fact, a lot of people conflate justification and adoption. But they're definitely distinct and separate uh, they, they bear similarities, but they're distinct and separate, and we want to keep them that way for, for a reason. But um, <clears throat> what is justification, right? That was the last lesson, right? My, yeah. What is justification? Okay. It's a declaration of righteousness. It's a legal declaration God sits as a judge over all people, and in his courtroom, uh, he declares certain people to be not guilty, to be acquitted of their crimes, right? And, and their legal status changes. Forensic justification is a legal declaration of righteousness. And so we are then counted as righteous in his sight. 
because of his declaration. Now, adoption is also a legal declaration. It is the bestowal of the... Um, it is the welcoming into the, the, to God's family, right, by adoption. And it is not, um, Jesus has, is uh, naturally a part of the family, right? He, he is God. He has always been with his father. He is the only begotten son. And everybody else who comes into uh, the kingdom of God, they're all adopted sons. So there's a difference between Jesus' relation to the Father and the children. Um, our elder brother is, is different than us, and yet we come in as adopted children and have, uh, have a right to all the glories that God bestows upon his children. So that's the doctrine of adoption in a nutshell. Um, John Murray says, justification means our acceptance with God is righteous and the bestowal of the title to everlasting life. Regeneration is the renewing of our hearts after the image of God, but these blessings in themselves, however precious they are, do not indicate what is conferred by the act of adoption. By adoption, the redeemed become sons and daughters of the Lord God Almighty. They are introduced into and given the privileges of God's family. Neither justification nor regeneration expresses precisely that. Right? So, uh, regeneration is new birth, the indwelling of the Spirit. Justification is that legal declaration that we are righteous in the sight of God and Jesus' righteousness is credited to us. But adoption is this, adoption has to do with God being your father. It's properly understood, the doctrine of, or of adoption, in regard to the first person of the Trinity, being a father, not merely to his only begotten son, but to his, all of his adopted children, those who have been justified, who will be glorified and who will who are adopted following their justification. And so really we this is to think about adoption is really to dwell on God the Father, God's fatherhood. Um, he being an actual father, not as it were a father, but he is the father from whom all fatherhood in heaven and on earth derives its name. And in saying God's, in saying God's fatherhood, um, that's not just like I'm applying fatherhood generically to the triune God. It really has to do with the first person of the Trinity, the Father. He is the Father, and it is He who adopts us and um, bestows upon us this incredible, glorious um, honor, right? There we are wallowing in our own filth. And he cleans us off through justification. He begins the work of ethically changing us through sanctification. And then he, 
he not just declares us just, but then at that, at that courtroom scene, he says, not only are you just and acquitted, but why don't you come live with me? Why don't you come live in my house? And, and, and if you live in my house, that, that, means, that means it's going to be really awesome you are going to be protected by omnipotence, right? You're going to be provided for by the one who made everything. And you will have no needs. You will, you will be provided for. And then, and then I, 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 I have everything in the universe, and so your inheritance is going to be ridiculous, over the top. And you are heirs of that as my adopted children. All right, so we haven't gotten to the confession yet. I suppose we should read that. So let's read it. Um, you've got the sheet. It's, uh, it's a nice, tidy one front and back. It's one section. Isn't that nice, right? Not to have eight sections to work through really concise statement about adoption. This isn't to diminish it as unimportant. It is one of the doctrines that you should continually be dwelling upon, uh, certainly as you live a life in a fallen world and deal with your own indwelling sin. This doctrine will be necessary for you to, to think about. So, it says this, all those that are justified... Okay, so there's our group, the justified, ones who have been declared righteous by God's holy will and by his predetermination, right? All those that are justified, God vouchsafeth in and for his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption. Okay, so what does vouchsafeth mean? Anybody have any sort of paraphrase of that? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That it's it's along those lines. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's to grant to grant a special favor. When you, who have the power to do it, grant a special favor to somebody. Um, and so, God is granting the special favor in and for His only Son, Jesus Christ. He does it in Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ's work is necessary for it. And for His only Son, Jesus Christ, because His Son loves the bride of Christ, and loves the, those and worked for those people that uh, God has declared justified. And he does that, um, God grants the special favor to make them partakers of the grace of adoption. And you look down at Ephesians 1.5, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And then Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption 
of sons. So there it is encapsulated. You you had your finger up. Yeah. Yeah. I have no clue. I mean, I did not do a deep dive on the etymology of vouchsafe, so. Um, I just uh, Googled it, found the answer. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it would be interesting to do that, and, and it would give uh, a more fuller meaning if we did. Okay, so... Um, Adopted as sons. Now, it's interesting. The Murray quote that I read earlier, he says, by adoption, the redeemed become sons and daughters of the Lord. I just want to make a quick point about that. Um, there is a sense in which you do become sons and daughters of the Lord because your sexuality is, is perpetual. You will be male and female always. But, in the, but on the other hand, you're adopted as sons even if you're a female because the right of primogenitor, the inheritance is yours, right? The, the, there's a sense in which um, we want to speak of it as Scripture does, like in, in uh, Galatians, that you are adopted as sons in that you receive what sons were to receive. Right? If, we did, if we did a deep dive in, in you know, first century uh, inheritance rights, um, and if we looked in the Old Testament about uh, who was to inherit uh, the wealth of their father, it was the oldest son. Right? And so, so it ties into that. Just a quick point on that. I don't want to belabor it. But um, you ladies will be adopted as sons. Not that that will make you into men. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But you, um, you are inheritors. It puts you in a good position, an honored position. Okay? Um, and then the, the confession goes on and says, we're made partakers of the grace of adoption by which... They are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God. Okay, so we're taken into the number of the children of God. We, we join together with this massive family that God is bringing together out of all the tongues, tribes, and nations of, through all the ages of his people. God will have a huge family. And you are being brought into it. Um, by justification, by regeneration. You're taken into the number, and then it says you enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God. The liberties and privileges of the children of God. I mean, just think of, um, think of adopting a child. In terrible, a, t- a child that's in terrible circumstances, right? Mom abused drugs. Um, when she was pregnant with the child. The child has medical issues, and mom's negligent, you know, just doesn't 
doesn't really know what to do with the child or has no heart for the child, uh, neglects the child out of a lack of love and a lack of uh, not being able to get beyond herself and her own addictions, things like that. And then suddenly you're adopted, you're pulled from that family, and you're put in this family that like intentionally wants this child to be strong, to know the Lord, to uh, be in the midst of the church, to have friends, to be educated. I mean, you come into all these privileges. Now, just imagine the, the liberties and privileges are not just your, you know, a human's, but God Almighty's liberty and privileges. Forgiveness of sins, everlasting life, right? Eternally dwelling in his presence, redeemed, you know, never ever being able to be cast out of the kingdom, never having any enemy that could possibly overcome his power and molest you when you're in the, the gates of the celestial city. This stupendous liberty and privileges, right? And our liberty is, is a liberty that's bounded by God's good law, Right? Meant to, meant to cause us to know him, meant to reveal our own sins, and meant to show us what is pleasing in his sight. And so we have the liberty to walk in the ways of Jesus Christ as we're conformed to him. And so, so those, that's, that's the generic statement. You're adopted, you're a child of God, that gives you liberty and privileges that come from the Almighty Father. And then it it outlines all these privileges basically for the rest of the, the statement. You have his name put upon you, just like human adoption, right? What a glorious day on the adoption day when that child gets your last name and you assign to it a first name. Um, you take upon yourself, when you're adopted into God's household, God's name. Um, child of the living God. And that, you know, th- there, are, there are proverbs that talk about having a good name, right? And it, basically any name you take, I take the name Dion and there's a track record of sins going back to Adam with that name. And all of your last names are the same way. There's a track record of sin and broken relationships and, and, and evil all the way back to Adam, but not with the name of God. You take the name of God and, and you are in, in the family that has, uh, that has never sinned. You take on the name of the righteous, almighty God. Now that should encourage you, right? That really should encourage you. I mean, it really almost makes you want to feel antinomian. And that's the danger of the doctrine of adoption. Is It's so glorious, and you think about the privileges, it's like, man, even if I sin, my sins are forgiven. And so you're like, okay, I'm going to sin. Nope. <laughs> Not the route you should take, and not logical. Um, because if you're in God's household and you know God and you see how lovely He is, 
you do not want to sin against him. And when you see how much he has sacrificed for you, then you don't want to sin against him. You want to be like him. This is the perfect father. There's nothing to despise about God the Father. Nothing. Not a single thing. Not a whiff of anything. And so, that's the first thing. He puts his name upon you. And then, you receive the spirit of adoption. Romans 8, 15, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Right? That spirit comes to us. We get this gift of the spirit, and it's a spirit of adoption. It's the spirit that testifies to us that we are what? Children of God. Right? That's the spirit of, of adoption. And so we, whatever Abba means, I, you know, people argue about that. And if you say it means daddy, people get really angry at you. It's just father, father. It's just two different languages. I don't know. I think there's some intimacy to that term, okay? Abba, Father. It, 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 is, a, it is like, that's my father. Mine. I've got his name. He's put his spirit within me. He's drawn me into his household. That's my dad, okay? And so that we have that spirit placed within us. And then... As if those, those two things aren't great enough, then we have access to the throne of grace with boldness. We have access to the throne of grace with boldness, and scenes from the book of Esther should come into your mind, right? What did Esther have to do? What did Esther, Esther risk when she went in to speak with the king? She risked her life. Right? And unless the king extended his scepter, she was gone. And so, do you think anybody went into that throne room with boldness? No, you went into that throne room fearful, as if you did not have a right to be there. And that right was only conferred instantaneously upon you when you walked into that throne room. With God, God says, come. Come to my throne of grace. I'm calling you here. Come with boldness. You know, and, and we express that boldness in our prayer. We express that boldness in our faith. We express that boldness in, in our walk, right? But we can boldly enter into the very throne room of God because God has put his name on us. God has declared us righteous. He has prepared us to be in his presence, he has extended the scepter to us through the death of his son. So we have access to the throne of grace with boldness and then are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. We are enabled. Our, our, think of your, how your heart changed in your regeneration. You went from an enemy of God, hostile, engaged in evil deeds against God Almighty, he came down and said, no longer, you're mine, here's my name, here's my spirit, right? Here's what it's going to be like to live in my household. And now it's like, okay, God is good. God is so glorious and good, right? Before you knew him, you hated him. 
Before you knew him, you loved your sins and you hated God. Afterwards, you loved God and hated your sins after this adoption. And so we can now cry out to God, Abba, Father. And then his disposition toward us, look at this. He, we are pitied by him. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. We are protected. And the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. We are provided for. Look at the grass of the field. Right? 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Protected, we're provided for, and what's next? Chastened. Now, what does that word mean? What does it mean? I hear some mumbles. I'm getting old. My eyes are failing. My ears are failing. Okay, pretty soon in the pulpit, I'll be wearing reading glasses, and I'm Every Sunday I say, yeah, it's probably this week. I need to do it. And then I'm like, no. No, I got a few more years. But anyway, they're coming out soon. And then glass, glasses all the time will be here soon. So anyway. So speak up. Discipline. Corrected. But chasten? Doesn't chasten seem to be like more intense? Doesn't it? No. <laughs> well, it can involve pain. All discipline is painful. All correction is painful. Um, chastening seems to have weight to it, and I think it's it's um, it's drawing in Hebrews twelve, where that father, that sonship is on display there, and it says that God scourges all the sons whom He loves, right? All those whom God loves, he scourges as sons. Scourge. Whips them. Right? Because, because why? Why does he do that? Yeah, Jesus went before us, and so why would we think it's going to be any different for us? Okay in order that we share his holiness. So there's an ethical aspect to adoption. It's not just legal, right? Because when you come into his house, part of that is being disciplined by him so that you can live out holiness, not just revel in the declared holiness, but there's an ethical component to holiness, right? Legal and ethical, um, declared and lived, right? And so so he's going to make sure you live your holiness, and the way he's going to do that is by pounding you down till he breaks your pride. Till he makes you hate your sins. Till he makes you contemplate how your sins led his son to die. Right? And he's going to do that until the day you die. Even through your, your death, 
your dying days, he's going to continue to press you down because he loves you as a what? It says, and chastened by him as by a father. And so that's why the scriptures say that a father who won't discipline his sons hates his sons, hates them, right? Not disciplining our children is hatred toward them. God demonstrates his love to us by chastening us. That's the paradigm. That's the heavenly paradigm by which earthly things should be patterned, right? So don't listen to Dr. Spock. Does anybody ever, does anybody remember him? Hang on, Rob. You know, wasn't that the beginning of the don't spank movement? I don't know. Yeah, and and so, um, and th- this would be a long conversation to have about proper discipline of children. Um, but but my, my main point here is that um, obedience children and discipline from your parents is a sign of love to you. It is a sign of God's fatherhood to all of us, right? It's, it, that is one of the main ways God expresses himself to us as father, disciplining us. And he disciplines us in a million different ways, right? Disciplines us by the personality he gave us. He disciplines us by the diseases that afflict their body. He disciplines us when he allows us to sin. He disciplines us by giving us over at times to sin. That's what the confession teaches later. He disciplines us by um, loss of job. He disciplines us by loss of friendships. He disciplines us by, I mean, just the list goes on and on. We could all give testimony to the ways that God has disciplined us and to be, um, they'd all be different. And so that, that is one of the glories of adoption. You know, it's one of, someone was lamenting to me that in the foster system, you can't discipline your, the children that they give to you, right? Essentially. Um, you can't discipline them as effectively as you would like to. Uh, But when they're adopted, guess what? The discipline begins. They have your name. They're in your house. The state declares them your children, right? And so the discipline, as you have done it poorly or well, (laughs) will begin um, on your own terms, right? But that adoption gives us this beautiful, wonderful right of being disciplined by God. And it's painful. It is never pleasant, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Yet, never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption. And so when God disciplines us, the temptation is to begin thinking, well, he's forsaken me. God has forsaken me. God, um, the, the, God is not in these things. God is not in this wreck. God is not in this death. God is not in this loss. He's not in these things that are afflicting me. He's not in, in this diagnosis. God is not in this. God is, has left me. And so discipline, tr- 
we have to think rightly about difficulties, right? Because our tendency is to say, God is against me. God has left me. God is leaving. And yet here, they're very quick to say, look, he disciplines you as a father, yet never casts you off. He never casts off his children. Never casts them off. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. He will have compassion. He will not cast off his children. He will not lose one of them. There, there will be no way to, and no desire for God's children to break out of his household, to run away. No. Um, he, he will make sure that, that that doesn't happen as he changes our hearts to love him and as he does his work of discipline. But sealed to the day of redemption. Sealed. Um, why that word sealed? I never know why the, the confession uses the word sealed all the time. What do they mean by the word sealed to the day of redemption? It's like a seal on top of a Tupperware. It's kept fresh. Is that what it's? Seal on an on an envelope. Yeah, probably more something like that. It's an authentication. It's uh, it's a. Um, it is a uh, trajectory set by God because He has deemed it, and He's He is um, He is giving His promise by that seal, right? And so, uh, kept those in His house will be kept to the day of re- re- redemption. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, there's we um we have his seal on us, right? Of and um there's no taking that away. We've been authenticated. We, we are set aside as a child of God and will be seen through to the day of redemption. And it bears the, the name of the stamper on it. What's that? Seal to the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. God has made promises to his children. 
He's laid up an inheritance. He's, um, and that inheritance is everlasting salvation. It is everlasting Sabbath. It's everlasting glory. It's the, it's, um, that's laid up. And God does, God's yeses are yes and his no's are no, right? God doesn't lie or retract or uh, trick Right? Those for whom he has laid up an inheritance will receive it. That inheritance is not affected by the stock market. Thankfully, right now. Right? As the 401ks diminish and diminish and diminish more. Um, no, his... his uh, it's a stupendous inheritance. It's, it's, it's an inheritance given to those that God has created out of dust, right? What dignity he's given to creatures, right? Made out of dust. And so, um, he will, uh, we will be like his son. We will be holy. We will be uh, praising him with world without end and resting in his constant provision of everything we ever need. The curse overcome. Work actually being fun. The thorns and thistles taken away. We will work in heaven. There will be economics in heaven, but they'll, they'll be glorious. It will be, um, there won't be dissonance or any sort of uh, friction in those economics. <laughs> uh, who knows? I mean, how will it work? I don't know. All right, a few other things. Made it through the whole of the confession this week. <laughs> um, one thing, uh, if you want to read books on this, again, get Murray's Redemption, Accomplished, and Applied. It's the best thing on Ordo Salutis that you'll read. John Murray, Redemption, Accomplished, and Applied. There's a chapter on adoption. Um, Sinclair Ferguson has written a lot on adoption. Uh, Children of the Living God is a book that he's written. Very encouraging. A few other things. Um, Bob Inks, you know, you don't want to buy a four volume systematic theology, but um, borrow one from somebody and, and go to the index and look up adoption. Uh, those, those are the sources I went to. But Ferguson said, said this in, in one of his works. He said, adoption, is, adoption into the new family produces conflict with the old family. When you get, I mean, and, and this happens with with adoption, adoption, you know, um, human adoption. But um, we're coming out of the family of the evil one and into the family of God, and you better believe that there's going to be conflict when that, that occurs. Uh, Satan begins to work to win you back when you become a member of God's household. He will work to win you back. Um, of course, he can't win, but he can afflict according to God's allowance 
of that affliction for your good, right? But, but um, there'll be conflict, and, and, they'll, and one of the other places where when you're adopted into God's household that you'll face conflict is the ac- accusations that come from uh, friends and friendships that you cut off because you could not abide because you finally realize that bad company corrupts good morals. And you were willing to say, no, I want Jesus more than I want drunken orgies. Right? I want Jesus more than I want the friends who will lead me back down paths that will not be good for my soul or my body. And so there'll be conflict. First Peter talks about this conflict, right? You, they, they want you to come back. Come back, you know? And you'll, as an adopted child of God, you're like, hmm, what should I do? Should I go, should I go you know, eat the slop of pigs? Or should I enjoy my father's love? You know? And some of you, for a time, may go eat the slop of pigs. And that may be a sign that you're not God's child, right? That you're not regenerate. Or it may be a sign that, uh, that you're regenerate and, and God will welcome you back after he has allowed you for a time to eat the slop of pigs, right? The prodigal son. But don't come back to the father if you haven't confessed your sin and said, I have sinned in your sight and in God's sight. I'm not worthy of the, the least of your blessings. And, and yet the father then embraces him and kills the fattened calf for him. That's a picture of the fatherhood of God. Um, Bavink makes that point. Listen to this. Bavink says, Reformed theologians maintained that while forgiveness removes the actual liability of sin, that's our justification, it removes the actual liability, not guilty. It does not remove its potential liability. So what does he mean by that? He means sin's consequences remain even those of forgiven sins. For believers especially, sin brings with it a sense of guilt, pain, regret, alienation from God, remorse, takes away one's tranquility of conscience and the boldness and assurance of faith. Even when believers, having long before received forgiveness, take a deeper look at the corruption of their own hearts, they feel a need even to confess their past sins. And he cites Psalm 51. Therefore, for believers to remain assured, confession and prayer are the means by which God the Holy Spirit arouses and reinforces our consciousness of forgiveness. So he's saying when believers sin, the way that he works on our conscience is to, is to use confession, and prayer, right? The Holy Spirit working in us by confession and prayer. When our faith is weak, when we lapse into sin, believers always have the right and the freedom 
to go with confidence to the throne of grace and plead on the basis of the faithfulness of him whose gift of grace and calling are irrevocable. Believers do not pray out of doubt and despair. They do not pray as though they are no longer children of God and again face eternal damnation. They pray from within the faith as children to the Father who is in heaven and who says amen to their prayers. Do you see what he's getting at there? Do you understand that? We sin, right? We sin terribly. We sin terribly after we've received the forgiveness of our sins. God, in our justification, has acquitted us of all sins, past, present, future. All of them, right? And yet we continue to sin, and he's like, well, God gives us the grace then of of confession and prayer. Those are the means by which, you know, we work on our consciousness, our conscience, and, and we don't go to, then we don't, and this is why the confession says going into the throne of the grace boldly or with boldness. We don't go as, God don't, con- God don't condemn me to hell. Right? But we go as children of God, knowing that God is gracious and abounding in love, and we go in faith, and, and what does he do? He sees the righteousness of his son in this miserable sinner, right? This miserable sinner who's continuing to sin, and he is able to say yes and amen to that child because of the righteousness of Christ applied to him. And so, um, I thought that was helpful. He's, he's trying to walk a fine line here, right? Because adoption seems to tend toward antinomianism. The whole doctrine is like, you know, God, God won't take us out of his household. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm going to sin, so grace going to abound. No. No. Sin still has consequences, terrible consequences in your life, right? And we are to take those things to God Um, through prayer and confession, but we go to him not as a judge who could revoke his acquittal. We go to him as a father, right, who who will protect us and forgive and say amen to our prayers. So that's, that's gotta be the end. Got some more stuff, but it'll have to wait. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your fatherhood. We thank you that we can call you Abba Father. We thank you that you are our uh, divine Father, that, um, that you have called us into your household, that you have put your name upon us, that you have given us an inheritance, that you have given us liberties and privileges in you as your children. And Father, what, what glory in this. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. And we will eternally sing your praises. Sing the praises of your glory. Lord, help us now as we, we do that. As we give praise to you for your wonderful, wonderful adoption. Lord, we, we ask that you would bless every one of our thoughts and meditations as we worship. And that you would help me to preach. 
your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.